I'm not much of a topical preacher. I like going to the Bible and breaking it down word for word. But as I'm with the Lord, and we just finished up a sermon series yes, uh, last week, I said, Lord, how can I bless the mothers of the house specifically? And the word that I kept hearing throughout the week was tired. It's a tiresome job. And also, if I can invite you guys into some of the tension in my own house, because you know I like to normalize our family to you as much as we can. Some of the greatest tensions in our house has been, I feel like I'm doing this by myself sometimes. And so if you're a husband in the house, or if you live with someone who has blessed you with children, and she hasn't taken the time to sit you down and lovingly remind you that she's tired, I'm going to let you know that today and whisper in your ear that she's tired. And I, just like a lot of other guys perhaps, or just being another member of the house, I often can rest because my wife will always pick up the slack. This message and everything I'm going to encourage the mothers with today, however, is for all of us. Because I'm going to talk about weariness. But I will try to speak specifically to the mothers, but there's something in this for all of us. Because in some way, form, or fashion, we all are tired. If you're a student, you're tired. If you're a father, a full-time worker, you're tired. You're a mother, a grandparent who's helping with the grandchildren, you're tired. If you don't have children, you're tired from work, you're tired from life, especially living in the culture that we live in. There's always something happening. So may this word bless us today. If I can ask, if we could just give me a few minutes, especially in the speaking of God's word, if we can just have some reverence. So we need to go to the restroom, 30 minutes, and then we'll be back to going to wherever we're having lunch today with mom. Today is a heavy day. There are some of you who don't want to be here because Mother's Day is a reminder of pain. Some of you no longer have your mothers with you. Some of you perhaps are mothers who have lost their children. Some of you are perhaps women who struggle to have a child. So days like today where others are celebrating and happy, full of smiles, it's a day that brings pain to you. My grandmother is still alive, but she's bedridden. She's unable to move. She may never move again. And I see the look of loss in my mom's eyes when she talks about my grandmother. And I know for a fact that some of you right now are actively losing a mother. And so I don't want to go into today's message not recognizing that Mother's Day, and also Father's Day, but specifically today, Mother's Day is a very dimensional day. There's so many emotions that come into today. And in all of these emotions, because of the emotion, there's weariness. 
So that's why I asked the Lord, and we're about to pray that the Lord would speak to each one of our hearts. Yes, it's Mother's Day. Yes, this is, the heart is for the, for the mom who's tired, but I ask that as I share scripture with you today, that you would remember your own weariness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this house. I thank you for all who have decided to be here with you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bind any spirit of distraction this morning. And I ask that you would do a great work in each one of our hearts. That through your word you would speak to us. That for those of us who have come into the house with brokenness and emptiness and weariness, Father, that that weariness, Lord, would subside as we learn about your love towards us, your attention towards us, and how we can bring all of our worries to you and that you would carry our burden. Thank you, Father, that we find encouragement always in you, even when it hurts a little bit. And I pray, Father, that for those of us in the house today with a broken heart or any type of brokenness, Father, that you would restore today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So would you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4? I made a mistake here on the slide, so it's going to say Hebrews 5, but it's Hebrews 4 verse 15. And let me read here, if you don't have your Bibles, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. I encourage you to open it, use it, and if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take it. And let's read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So if I'm reading just this portion of Scripture, this portion of Scripture is a sermon in itself, two verses. In verse 15, we see that the author of this book is referencing a high priest, and this high priest is Jesus. If you're not aware, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. We don't know who wrote this book, but it's probably the Apostle Paul who wrote a greater portion of Scripture. But it says the high priest, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. He tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, and that's ensuring us that we see Jesus fully in his human form. Some people struggle with the idea of Jesus in the flesh. And when we read portions of scripture like this, especially if you're someone who doesn't fully see the scripture and all of its authority, you might say, well, Jesus was able to overcome these things because he wasn't like us. He was perfect. He was without sin. But you have to understand and be able to differentiate that what Christ was 
incarnated, he was made fully a man. And this is our assurance in verse 14 that we do not have a high priest. If we call Jesus the high priest, we don't have one who did not or could not empathize with our weakness. He empathizes with all of our weaknesses. It says, but we have one who has been tempted, where? In which way? In every way. He too knew weariness. He knew anger. He knew frustration. He knew all temptation. But he never turned to sin. He didn't sin. We know that in scripture it says, be angry. For those of us who struggle with anger. And just to give you some, some scoop about my life, I'm someone who's struggled with anger in the past. And even moments today where I'm just overcome with frustration. And I, I, I bring like Sunday mornings up a lot because it feels like Sunday mornings are a time where the enemy can really just distract you from the blessing that you're about to receive in the house of worship, right? You've heard me say this before, but there's a lot of new faces in the house today. There's something about Sunday that just gets so frustrating, and every little thing, right? You go to bed on Saturday night, you've ironed your clothes, your, everything is ready. And the minute you wake up on Sunday morning, you look for a thousand excuses not to be here. Amen. That hit actually harder than it's ever hit. I really hope you never get tired of the exhortations that I give from up here, family. It's Mother's Day. And you know what that means to the fellowship of Christians, of believers? Nothing. We should still be here. We should still gather to worship. Some of us plan how we cannot be here on Sundays. But what's the flip side of that? The minute that we are in dire need of Christ, we run to him. Or if we don't run to him, we get upset at him because he allowed things to happen to us that affected us and that hurt us. How dare we? So when I read these verses... I make sure that I'm emphasizing the high priest. It's a, he says, our high priest. Well, the truth is that Jesus Christ is not everyone's high priest. From the context of us reading today in 2022, when it says our high priest, it's not everyone who believes that Jesus was alive or that Jesus existed. It's everyone who regards Jesus as their own high priest that my high priest the one who i remember the one who i hurt for the one who i grieved before because of my own sin and brokenness this morning i woke up at five o'clock in the morning i already told two of you that i woke up and i saw your face when i woke up 
and I had to pray for you immediately. But I woke up with a heaviness in my heart. Because above all things, including things like this beautiful building, right? The things that God can only put together, like Isaac still preaching at One Life a year later, which is a beautiful thing, but honestly, all of this I don't care for more than Christ. Because I will stand at a bus station and preach the gospel. Because there's an urgency to this. And if there is no building, will we preach the gospel? I hope the answer in your own life is yes, because you regard Christ as your high priest. And last week we talked about the king's commission and what he asks of all of us. Because we come to the church, those of us who are actively members of a church, and we look and we say, well, he's the pastor, so it's his job to preach. No! For all of us who look at Jesus as our high priest, it's all of our jobs to preach. It's all of our jobs to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if no one has ever told you that, we have our membership class next week. I would love for you to join One Life. Because the one thing that we're going to pour buckets of into your life is mission. A life on mission. Some of you walk day to day without purpose in your life. Is this all my life is about? Being a mom? Being a dad? Being a child? Being an employee at a job that I hate? I often sit at work with my coworkers, and they are in misery. And they look at me, and they're like, Isaac, why aren't you as miserable as everybody else? I said, because I don't find my purpose in my job. Every Sunday I get to stand up here and I know that when we read this scripture, it's hard for us to see. Some people look at Jesus as so grand that he couldn't have been real. Like there's no way, like he's too good. Like everything my mom and my grandma and everybody in my family and the church and the bishop and the apostle, what they taught me about Jesus, there's no way that he was real. And then we open up our Bible and it says that he could sympathize and empathize with us in all of our weakness. It doesn't say humanity. It says weaknesses. It says that he knew temptation, but he didn't sin. And that's what separates us. Each one of us knows temptation. And each one of us knows sin. What made him and what set him apart from us was that he would demonstrate to us that in the face of temptation, he could say, no. Mother, you who are tired, your frustration often brings you to sin. And you sit in your resentment. It might be towards your husband. It might be towards your ex it might be towards your children. It might be towards life because you're sick of being alone and doing it by yourself. You may be with somebody in the house who doesn't help you and you hold resentment. But because you don't like fighting, it never comes up. And that's why I took the chance to tell all the husbands and the men in the house, hey, she's tired and this is for me too. This is hard to preach, by the way, because like, I feel like I should be sitting down, like re receiving... <laughs> what God has given us. Because the truth is, I don't do this well. 
I don't do it well. I know that I'm supposed to do this, and my wife loves me so much that she would tell me I feel alone. I'm tired. But many times, I'm sorry, babe, you're right. I'm praying for you. This is, this is my wife right here, by the way, in case. I know some of you have no idea who my wife is. She was the one giving announcements. I'm praying for Diorca. Yes, everybody should pray for Diorca. And I married a Dominican. No, I'm just going to let me just. But that's also a conversation of the intimacy of communication in our relationships. For those of us who are in relationships. Even then, even with help of another person, there's exhaustion. Some of you have shared with us that you, even with your children, as a product of being a parent, you're tired, you're exhausted. You don't have, a, you don't have time to go out and hang out and just be yourself. I texted my wife the other day, babe, I feel like we're getting older and we don't even have a hobby. We don't do something for fun. Plenty of time for that. When we're older, Barbara, yeah. I don't want to wait till retirement <laughs> to do something for us. But that's also the beauty of a church community. And a phrase that I use often, we shouldn't be like family, we should be family. So that one another would get to know each other so well that we know when there is a friend, a sister, a brother in the church who is exhausted and that we too might reach out and say, hey, why don't you guys go and hang out? Go on a date. Go to dinner. Go out. Call your girlfriends. Go out. Hang out. Clear your mind. Leave the kids at the house. We'll take care of them. That's community. That's the communal living that we learn about in the book of Acts. But when we talk about the church that lives communally and together, that hurts together, that separates together, then we're like, no, I don't want people in my business. But is it possible to be a church in the fullness of the church, in the full expression of the church where you don't even know people's names? It's not. Because the church is not just a gathering on a Sunday. The church is a hurt together. It's a celebrate together. To know who's going through something in their life and that we would lay hands and pray over them without judgment though, right? Because that's something else that church has often gotten stuck in, that we all have our own opinions on everybody else's issues. And guess what? That too is tiresome. Jesus dealt with a lot of broken people while he was in ministry. And he, I'm sure, had a million opinions in the flesh about their situation, he would meet with drunkards, with tax collectors, with thieves on the cross, with women who were prostitutes. Could he not have his own human opinions about them? But he chose love. And I'm sure it drove him to his own human weariness. But he knew that there was something to do. And he also knew that he could depend on his father to fulfill his cup. Last week we talked about the empty cup, remember? That we can pour from an empty cup when the source is the Lord's. We can. Moms, you do it all the time. 
yesterday we were home. My wife decided she wasn't going to do anything. She was going to give herself a Mother's Day gift. And she sat in our bench. I'm about to discipline everyone. <laughs> I wanted to pull my hair out of my head, the little bit that I have left. And then I felt bad because I was like, I'm not complaining to my wife. Is it because it's Mother's Day? But at, at the end of the day, it was like 11 o'clock. I'm folding the rest of the clothes. I had been doing laundry for 12 hours. Feel bad for me. Come on. I mean, if we're going to applaud it, also feel bad for me. <laughs> the point is that there's a weariness, that there's a brokenness, but that we can look at Jesus Christ, right, who we are here. We're not here to celebrate mom. We're here to celebrate the work of the cross. But that we could look at the cross and say, Lord, I say, and I feel weariness and tiredness, but you can empathize with me where I am broken. God is greater than your worry. Because a lot of us find ourselves in worry and being tired, in, in weariness and being tired because of our worry. And there's a mom that I want to talk to you about in Matthew chapter 20. But as you look for Matthew chapter 20 in your Bibles, I want to also emphasize something that it says in verse 16 in Hebrews 4, where Paul, probably Paul, he writes, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. So what he's saying here is when we find ourselves being afflicted in the very similar ways that Jesus was, what does he give us a recipe for or what does he prescribe unto us? He says approach God's throne of grace with confidence. If you have your Bible open and a pen with you, there should be a pen in front of you also the word confidence. And the word confidence means trust. It means to know. How many times have you gone to bed wrapped up in your worry, mother? There's worry about your children. There's worry perhaps about your husband or your job or your singleness or your loneliness, but you are in bed tired. And what happens when you wake up? Somehow you wake up tired. Where is your confidence? In what are you placing your confidence? Or better yet, in who are you placing your confidence? The issue with worry is that worry, can you hear me? Did it cut out? Check, one, two. All right, bring it down a little bit. Thank you. The issue with worry is that it breeds disbelief. Remember to remain in our confidence, just as verse 16 says. And let me talk to you about this mother. Matthew chapter 20. 
In Matthew chapter 20, we read about a mother in just two verses. And let me read it to you here. Verse 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Try to picture this. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Okay. They said to him, the the sons, they said, we are able. Verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, meaning the disciples, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is where we start getting a little offended about God's word. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. I was going to start in verse 20, but let me go to this finishing portion here. Because if there's something that parents do, mothers in particular, is serve and serve and serve and serve. Even in my own house again. Babe, I give. And I give, and I give. And it's the truth. And if there's anyone on earth, any specific group of people on earth that is most reminding to us of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's the mother. Have you ever looked into the Gospels when we're looking at Jesus' final days and final moments? Who was present with him the entire time? It was his mother. He had an earthly father in Joseph, and Joseph loved him as his son, but it was his mother who was with him. Mother, when your children go through something difficult, you hurt in a very specific way. Dads can be, can, are able to kind of detach themselves emotionally a little bit better than moms. But moms, you bleed with your children. And that causes us pain and anguish. A pastor approached my mother when I was little, prophesying unto my life for the future. And I was just born. And said to her that she would cry tears of blood because of me. And if you remember when we were talking about Jesus praying in agony, waiting to ask his father to please let this cup pass from him, he said that he was so anguished, the the scripture says, that he was so anguished that he was starting to sweat blood. But the pain is incomparable almost from a father to a mother. And not to say that dads that were less important, but there are graces and giftings and strength that God gives to the mother that are very specific to the mother. And in many ways, I truly believe that a woman is emotionally stronger than a man is. 
We just express it differently, perhaps. But mothers, you endure. You carry. You pull. You encourage. You smile when you feel like breaking down. And the same thing we see happen with our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the flip side of when we, any of us, carry resentment, in particular this mother. In verse 20, we read about a mother. She, is, she has no name here, but we know that she is the mother to James and John. That she comes to Jesus in verse 20 and 21, and she starts asking Jesus for something. And in 21, he asks her, what do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. Can you imagine approaching, approaching Jesus? Coming to him after him performing all of these miracles and saying, this is what I ask of you. And this is such a mom, right? Lord, I ask that you would sit my one son to your right and my other son to your left. Because my kids are the most important. They're the greatest. It's funny when you think about it, but it makes so much sense that a mother would say this. Because mothers, you fight and you claw for your children to sit high, to be important, to affect the world. But the one thing that this woman did wrong was teach her children that they were great instead of teaching them humility. So when we exist before the high priest... When we walk with the high priest, when we believe in him, the greatest gift, parents, mothers, that you can give your children is the gift of service, the gift of humility, and the gift of loving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to miss this opportunity to exhort you once more. This isn't just for you. This is not just for you. If you only come for the high holy days or Mother's Day and Father's Day and this and that, this is not just for you. The greatest gift you can give your children is not an inheritance. It's an eternal inheritance with Christ Jesus. If you are a child who is here today with your mother because it's Mother's Day, let me tell you something. The greatest gift you can give to your mother on Mother's Day is to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, assuring your life for eternity. Because if there's one thing our moms don't want from any of us, it's death. But if you don't know Jesus, you will find death. And you will find eternal death. In Scripture, it's referenced as the second death because it's not a physical death. It's a spiritual, it's a death of the soul that lasts forever in damnation. So we gain nothing by just being here except for mom to be happy a few hours. Instead, make a decision for yourself that you would treasure your own life and your own soul the way your mother does. Because if she could make a decision, and today we're going to dedicate one more child. As parents, we want our children to walk with the Lord. But the problem is when we have to do the same. Because we want them to grow up in the Lord. And we want them to be lifted up. And we want them to have these places of authority even in the church. Because it must be nice to see your son standing up there preaching the gospel. But they have to learn it from somewhere. They have to learn it from you. Mother, they have to learn it from you. 
Are you discipling your own children? Are you thrusting them forward in the Lord? When we dedicate our children in this house, it's not about the child. It's about the parents. The dedication is from the parents. It's a covenant of the parents saying, I am ensuring that I will do what I need to do to raise up my child that when he gets or she gets older, she will and he will not deter from it. But that's an investment from the parents. Some parents, and maybe culturally, we've gotten to see dedication as like, oh, I'm going to give my son or my daughter to God for him to... No, he gave you your kid to you so that you could raise them in him. It's not the other way around. So the dedication, especially in this house, I want to make sure that we always have it clear. This is you saying yes to Christ and walking your children in him. So what a message for Mother's Day. That the call in your weariness is to come to the cross. And when you come to the cross for God to meet you because he cares for us. Let me prove it to you in scripture. Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. See, this doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in Scripture. Because I can read from you, I can read you Aesop's fables all day, but if you don't believe in what we're reading, it won't affect your heart. A lot of us worry because we think we have no help. Because we, we think no one's coming to save and to help us with our burden. But this is our assurance for those of us who regard Jesus as high priest. Trust in him when? At all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him. When was the last time you got on your hands and on your knees to pour out your heart to Jesus? And it's not to say that he doesn't know what's happening in your life. But when did you intentionally bend your knees before the king and say, I need help? I need help. I'm tired, Lord. I need help. I'm alone, Lord. I need help. I'm beaten down, Father. I need help. I'm losing my child. I need help. I'm losing my mother. I need help. Do we have the humility of heart to do that? Pour out your hearts to him. Why? Because he is our refuge. That means he's our protection. He is our covering. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Wow. Wow. Have you ever been in a situation so desperate in your life and all of a sudden you found comfort? And all of a sudden you found peace? And now you're walking in a peace that you have no idea. The, the situation somehow got so bad that you finally just said, you know what? It, it makes no point to even worry about it anymore. That's the Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 piece that Paul talks about. A peace beyond all understanding. Mother, there's comfort for you. There's mercy for you from the Father of Compassion. 